This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. We've mentioned this before, but I want to make sure that you know about the free sample chapters from the book called The Kingdom Unleashed. And these sample chapters are available for free download at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now, the authors are connected to the featured organization for today's podcast content. The organization is Final Command. If you're trying to figure out how to make disciple making take off in your area, specifically for Western countries, like you've heard it is happening around the world, you've got to read The Kingdom Unleashed. Start with the free sampler, which you can download at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now for today's episode, featuring Final Command Ministries. Today's episode was recorded during the National Disciple Making Forum during a track called Believing God for the Impossible. The episode was called Why Not Here, featuring John King, Shadonke Johnson, and James Fourlines. Take a listen. If you were here in the last session, James and Shadanke have practiced that a number of times. We haven't practiced this one, so you'll be the first people to experience our tag team effort, and I want to apologize at the front if it doesn't go as smoothly as the last one did. Uh, we learn by doing, and today we're, we're doing. I want to ask the question, why not here? That's the assigned topic. And um, you know, if you've heard Shadanke in the plenary session yesterday and other places, he believes it will be happening here. Mm -hmm. And he's committed himself to God that he's going to live to see it happening here. Uh, my first experience of asking this question came in January of 2006. <laughs> in the San Francisco Bay Area at a camp. And a, a group of global leaders were exploring this idea of movements for two solid weeks with a guy named David Watson doing death by PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, lots and lots of PowerPoint presentations, and we were all feeling like we'd been standing in front of a fire hydrant and the water was on full force, and he was hitting us in our face, and we were trying to drink down everything we could without drowning, and we weren't doing a very good job of it. Every now and then, I would prompt David to tell a story that I knew he had shared when he did that first training in Freetown, March of 2005. And after a while, one of the Hispanic brothers who was sitting back in the back where I was, there, there were a group of probably 60 of us around tables and back. We ended up being in the men's room at the same time, and he said, Who are you, and how do you know his stories? And I said, Well, my name is John King, and I'm a pastor from a small church in Middle Tennessee, Murfreesboro. And I heard a recording of the training that David did in Africa, and he used a lot more stories as the way he was training, not PowerPoint. Uh, with his PowerPoints, he was unpacking principles and helping us try to wrap our brains around it. Mm -hmm. But story has so much more power mm -hmm. than just the principles. Amen. And so I was... Foolish, bold, daring, I don't know what the right word enough to just prompting from time to time when I'd realize we got too many principles. We need some stories to hang these on. Mm -hmm. And so today, I'm not going to do death by PowerPoint. Uh, there will be a few slides. Uh, Shadanke is going to help us to provide some stories that will bring some life to this. Uh, the last holdout of people who've become captured by this from a thinking kind of standpoint is, well, it could happen in northern India where David Watson had his first experiences. 
This is Africa. It can't happen here. There are men who are global leaders. There's a video where we interviewed six, Shadake being one of the six, uh, guys who have, God's used them in powerful ways in the different parts of Africa, South Africa, East Africa, Central Africa, West Africa. And one of the things that was shocking when we interviewed those guys is two who appear on here shared with us. You know, when I first heard these thoughts, I said it won't work where I am. Mm. Mm. Well, now they're known mm-hmm. for being the advocates that it not only can work, it is working, and it ought to work where you are because God is the same God. Amen. 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 And so, I want to suggest, I think one of our biggest struggles is we will not seek out a coach and a learning community, a cohort, is one of our biggest obstacles. Our North American culture is highly individualistic. And we... Praise the rugged Lone Ranger, who even had Tonto. He never was Lone. (laughs) Shadanke shared the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, take someone with you. Now, a word of warning, it's slower. It's harder to go together. You have to coordinate schedules. You you have to learn to negotiate. If you want to go far, go with someone. And, And if you want to end up in the right place, connect with someone who's further in the process than you are to coach you. They don't have to be a specialist to know everything, but they need to know more than you do. And in the process, you will become a coach to others who know one less step than you know, if you're doing it. Some of our excuses for not seeking out a coach or a cohort is, I'm too busy. It'll take too much time. I, I just don't have that amount of time. It might be expensive to have a coach. That, that's the fear when people start hearing the word coach. Uh, so much so that Final Command basically operates on, uh, right now, the best we can do is a what we call a pay it forward. We invite people to partner with us. We'll coach for free for a while. And we invite you to help us go to other people and do the same. Because what we're talking about is so counterintuitive, it's so backwards, it's so different than what we've been doing, that when you hear it, your first assumption is that's not going to work here. Or it it might work in West Africa, but this is the U.S. That's the last line of holding out. It's too risky. You know, I I put all this effort, all this energy into it, and then it fails. Whoops. Heavy hand. Mm -hmm. Here's here's the flow that we use for training on getting things started. Praying and fasting, serving with purpose, finding the person of peace, start discovery groups, embrace multiplication. If you will text, if you will email me at this address and request it, I'll be happy to share these slides with you. This is my personal email address, or you can write finalcommand.com, fill out one of the forms, and I get all of those. So they're they're coming to me. If you want to join, uh, explore joining our cohort, 
you text this number and you type in the word cohort. Those are the ways you can connect with us, depending on whether you're a young millennial who texts only. If, if you're an emailer and if you're a writer, James will take the written yeah. thing, and then you've got a risk that he's going to keep up with all of those notes. Uh, yeah. Could you describe a person of peace? A person of peace is the biblical target that Jesus gives the 72 when he sends them out in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and following. One of the most remarkable discovery processes, most people hear discovery groups and they think of like the eight questions or seven questions, and we train people in those. Um, but there are, there are different ways of discovering. In three passages, Matthew 10, 1 following, Luke 9, 1 following. In these two passages, Jesus sends the 12 out two by two, and he gives them certain directions to follow. Interestingly, in Luke chapters 1 through 8, Jesus is doing all the ministry. In chapter 9, he's, he's called these guys to come along with him. In chapter 9, he sends them out to do ministry. And the shocking thing is, when we get to Luke chapter 10, verse 1, Luke says there were 72 others that Jesus sent out two by two. They're never named in the biblical text. We, we don't know the name of any of those 72. But the one thing we know about them is they are other than the 12. <clears throat> How do we know that? Because Luke says there were 72 others. Besides the 12? Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's talked about the 12 in chapter 9, and then we get this, what you call them, ordinary people? <laughs> they're not named they're not the 12 and to be honest we've never encountered them until we get to this verse they're never mentioned mm -hmm. it's possible and I think likely these are the fruit of Jesus sending the 12 out mm -hmm. and a most remarkable verse appears in this. He sends the 12 out, I mean the 72 out, two by two, and they come back, and Jesus is ecstatic. He's bubbling over with joy from the Holy Spirit. Amen. The only passage in all of the Gospels, in all of the New Testament, where that phrase overflowing with joy of the Holy Spirit appears. And it's Jesus. Why is Jesus so excited? Why is he so joyful? His grandchildren are coming back from their first successful experience of being on mission with Jesus, or for Jesus. And they come back saying, Jesus, you'll never guess it. The, the demons left when we drove them out in your name. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, well, now, now wait a minute. That, that's a powerful thing. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But that, that's not the place for your greatest joy. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's a relational thing, not a functional thing. Our worth comes in relationship with the Father and the Son, not the products of our work effort. That's the John King paraphrase of Luke chapter 10. <laughs> but where I started when I wrote this, Open these passages up when you get home and make two lists. The first one 
is the directions Jesus gives when he sends people out. If Jesus were sending people out of your church, what would he tell them to do? Hmm. That's list number one. Now, one of the things that he tells them to do in Luke chapter 10 is to go out looking for a man of peace, a son of peace, is how that's often translated, this phrase. And it's the generic man, uh, which would include male, female. And so we've translated it, transliterated to person of peace. When you meet someone that you think is a person of peace, the first thing Jesus tells, first direction he gives you is when you find this, extend a, a greeting of peace. Peace be upon this house. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just the absence of strife. That Old Testament peace concept is shalom and it's wholeness, it's richness, it's what God gave Adam and Eve when he placed them in the garden and what they lost. From then on, as James says, we live in a world with thorns and thistles. One of those signs of the fall, of the brokenness. What's wrong with our world? God's word keeps calling us back to peace. You know, you've heard the 365 passages where it says, fear not. Often that's followed up with peace. You're looking for people that the Holy Spirit has already prepared to listen and take action on the basis of the promise that peace, the kingdom of God, the reign of God is coming into your midst. Now there's a little phrase in the verse 1 that we often, Luke 10, 1, we often fly by where it says Jesus sent them out two by two to the places where he was about to visit. Think about being God's Jesus advance team. Wow. He wants to go there. He wants to be received there. And so he's wanting us to look for people who are ready to receive him. And if you don't find a person like that in Luke chapter 10, he says, you know, you this dust off of my feet will be a witness to the fact that you've missed God's approach. You, you've, you've rejected God's desire to come into your midst. Now, that's a hard word for a lot of us, and we're not going to camp there. We're not going to spend much time there at all. But the direction Jesus gives, one of the directions is you find this person of peace. Their household pops. That's mm-hmm. how I write it often quickly. So you, you need to know the characteristics of a person of peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that strange verse in these directions where he says, Greet no one on the way. Well, Jesus, how in the world am I going to find <laughs> persons of peace if I can't be greeting people? <laughs> That's a great question to ask. I'm not going to answer it for you. I'm going to leave it hanging out there. I want you to dig into this passage. So. When you start writing these directions, just, just put the verse number and what Jesus tells them to do. Put the verse number what he tells them to do. Put the verse number what he tells them to do. This person of peace in Luke in Matthew 10, which is longer than Luke 9, when he sends the 12 out, he sends them looking for a worthy man, a worthy person. And it's our belief from studying these passages that the person of peace and the worthy person uh, have a lot of overlay. Many of the persons of peace will be people of high standing. Cornelius, Lydia, would be examples of worthy people who are persons of peace. But there are some other people, like if you were here last time, the drug dealer, 
under the bridge who's running a drug cartel. If you weren't here, that was recorded. It'll eventually show up on podcast at some point. I'd encourage <laughs> you to listen to it. Shadaki and, Jer- and James telling some stories. Not all persons of peace are people of high moral character that you would automatically identify as a person of peace. I think the reason for this being somewhat different is God can work where we would least expect it through people we would think least likely. And, And maybe this is a good place for me to stop and let Shadake tell you some stories of worthy men or women, people of high standing that become the entrance into a community, and some others, uh, some who are who end up being persons of peace, but you might not have recognized them at the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this um, this passage is very important. It's um, as a major reference when you're talking about a person of peace. Uh, one of the other things we do, I was telling some of the guys that every we used to do it every month until last year. We started to do it by quarter. Since we started uh, more than 15 years ago, every month, all of the workers were sending reports. Every month. They all send reports. And they will tell you the presence of peace that they discovered. We are very big on reporting. Because for me, records are very important. You know, so... Um, Joe will tell you that uh, I'm very strong when he has to do reporting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and on that report, the quest, part of the question we ask is that who was the person of peace that you discovered? How many and who? The background. Is it Muslim or an African tradition? So that we know the background. So it will interest you on our records as we have of all the persons of peace were former strong Muslim background believers. Mm. (coughs) Some of them are people of influence. The imam, he's the imam of imam simply means, maybe put it in the context, like the senior pastor, as you say, senior pastor in the church. That is who an imam is. He carries so much respect in the community. We have seen a person of influence of that nature be the person of peace. Open the door, encourage the guys. In fact, we have seen some guys stay in the house of the imam. Mm. He becomes a person of peace. We have seen sheikhs. Sheikhs are like the clerics, the people who write in the mugs, who are the learned people, become person of peace. We've seen in communities... Headmasters who are very important in those villages. In many villages you go, the headmaster or the principal of a school is known by almost everybody in the community. Yeah. Very a person of influence. We have seen businessmen and women, well-placed businessmen and women, become persons of peace. We've seen people who lecture in university, professors, be persons of peace. But we have also seen people, the 72 others. You know, when Jesus said a worthy person, I know in our own mindsets we're always looking for people at that level. But a worthy person can also be somebody within his own oikos that has influence. Mm-hmm. And so we have seen one example, one of the areas where we planted the church. It has happened several times. But I'll give an example of one of the areas. The guy was a palm wine seller. Palm wine is a local beverage. In Sierra Leone, by four, by or five, I'm telling you, you will see a lot of people go find place to take palm wine. It's a local beverage. Some people take it for different reasons. Some say it's medicinal. Some say it's good for their eyesight. But it makes you a little bit tipsy. <laughs> you know. And um, I-, I want you to know that uh, one of the tribes, my wife, is, my wife is from the same tribe as Joseph's tribe. They are from the same mm-hmm. tribe. Now, we know them for palm wine. They are the professors. They know palm wine. They can look at a tree and say, mm-hmm. you know, this one has a palm wine. It's cut from just a, a tree. Mm-hmm. Now, the summary is that one day they went to this 
these guys, one day I was passing by the highway. I mean, I saw so many people. So I asked, what is happening there? They said, oh, it's a palm wine place. I said, really? So I went back, started thinking about it. So I trained some church players. Because if I go, everybody knows me. <laughs> so I sent in some team. They went, and the guy who was the leader of all the palm wine sellers became the person of peace. Mm. They created relationship, and out of that relationship, they started to tell him the story, which is from creation. He loved it. <laughs> and then, as they were coming, he would not call the other palm wine guys to so come and hear the story. Then eventually what happened was that he started inviting the customers, his clients. <laughs> Some of them would be drinking the palm wine, they are listening to the story, they are laughing. <laughs> but this is the humor about God. Those guys are taking palm wine, they are laughing, but the world was penetrating mm-hmm. in their hearts. Amen. Yes. Through this process, a discovery Bible study started. So what they did was that they would come early, do the discovery Bible studies, and then the palm wine business will continue. <laughs> Today, out of that palm wine, there's a church that has grown. <laughs> this man who was a leader left doing the palm wine. He's an elder in this church I'm talking about today. Mm. And he brought a lot of other palm wine sellers. They provided even the land where the church is standing on right now. Wow. We've seen this in Buffalo. It's the same in other places. So God uses people. There's a story of the drunkard. <laughs> the church planter is going to this town to plant a church. He met this guy. He was really drunk. <laughs> Man, he was there. <laughs> and then this guy asks, please, I'm asking for the, the chief. Chiefs are like local leaders who, are, who carry a lot of respect and authority. He said, I want to, well, our tradition is that if you get to any community, you first go to the chief so that he will know that you're in the community. Maybe you give something small, less than a dollar, maybe like a penny. It's just a tradition. So this guy met this drunkard, and he said, I'm asking for the chief. And the drunkard said, why are you asking for the chief? <clears throat> he could hardly stand. And he said, well, I'm a stranger. I'm coming to this community, so I just want the chief to know that I'm here. And he said, follow me. So he was going the opposite direction. He took the guy to the chief, got to the chief, even though he's a drunkard, but everybody knows him in the town. <laughs> because, you know, he's one of the only drunkards in the town. So he's popular. <laughs> even though in a bad sense. And then he took money out of his own pocket oh. and gave it to the chief and said, Chief, this man is my stranger. They have met less than 10 minutes. Wow. Mm-hmm. He's calling him now his stranger. That means mm-hmm. he's under his protection. Wow. Yes. He took this guy to his house, called his wife, please prepare a room for this man wow. and mm. get him some food to eat. I'm coming. And then he left. <laughs> but because this man has been trained, he knows that the church, uh, a person of peace can be anybody. Mm. The summary is that this man later got saved, mm. was coached and discipled. He was baptizing and his family. Today he's also a church planter. Mm. He's not drinking any longer. He's a church planter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you'll find people, we have the professor, the vice chancellor of the University of Sierra Leone, having to be, if a president, he opted to be the vice chancellor of our college. He has retired. But this man, you, Tony met him, this guy, we have taught him discovery Bible studies. The thing he's doing with discovery Bible studies among intellectuals is unbelievable. <coughs> he became a person of peace too. Even though he's a professor, the vice chancellor of the University of Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. So you can find people that are highly placed and you can find common people to be persons of peace. Amen. Amen. With the palm wine, what was the service that was offered? It was entertainment Entertainment. through storytelling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The power of storytelling Mm -hmm. was the connection. The, the, The... this isn't just an ordinary palm wine seller. He's the distributor. Right. Ends up being the person of peace. The discovery group starts there in this place where the distribution happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God's able to do exceeding abundantly more than all we can think or imagine. Mm-hmm. Just to pause, you know. But the, one of the problems I find here is that we want to invite the people to come to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of if going it's in the, the Western world, world you find a man like that 
can I invite you to my church? Mm-hmm. And he comes and have a Bible studies. No, we do it right there where yes. you are. Yes. Your very place, your very environment. Mm-hmm. Even though they are selling palm wine, the smell of the palm wine is not going to stop the power of the word of God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And this is in obedience to this. Jesus was sending 12 out. He's sending the 72 out. And in the Great Commission, the final command in Matthew's Gospel, what is the command? Go make disciples. Some translations, as you're going. When you're on your way to where you're going already, make disciples. Well, what does that look like? Well, you baptize them, you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, that's based on his authority. He starts before he says that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Do you believe Jesus has all authority? Amen. Are you obeying his command to go? Make disciples. Are you a disciple maker? If you're not, do you really believe Jesus has all authority? Not one to back you in a corner, but if we're going to listen to Jesus and obey, we've got to start listening. Amen. He sends the 72 out to places he's about to visit. Sent ones is really what the word apostle means. People on mission for Jesus. And all of our lives need to develop to an apostolic mindset of where has Jesus not, where is he not known yet? And will I go? That circle, those five elements, grew out of the effort to produce a video where we interviewed those six African leaders. It's available downstairs at our Final Command booth. If you want to find our booth, we've got the cheap-looking sign that's hanging up with those five elements on the top of it. You can't miss it. It's up higher than anything else. And there will be copies of this there. James Fourlines and I were preparing to go to a, a, a continental congress in Ethiopia of church leaders from across Africa. And we met in the same facility where the African Union, African Union meets. It, it was an impressive place. But we knew there were going to be 600 plus leaders from large African churches who were there. And we were going to be able to give out copies of these to everyone who was there. Now, most of the people who were there had no personal, first-hand experience with disciple-making movements. But they had started hearing some of the stories from folks like Shadanke, Joseph Karoma, Isla Tassi, and others where God was creating breakthrough. And we wanted to introduce them to a little more about disciple-making movements than they had heard. So we interviewed six leaders, and we sent ahead of them an email saying, we want to interview you on those five elements. And we would also like for you, if you can, to make arrangement for us, for our videographer to go and video record people reenacting how they found persons of peace. To go into the houses of prayer where incredible prayer goes on. And we edited the footage. More than 200 B-roll scenes. And those hours and hours of interviews from those six African leaders. And it's boiled down into five 22-minute segments. But after we got back, people who read Miraculous Movements, people who were seeing the video began to say, what would that look like here in North America? And so uh, we, we, we started playing with the wording and we created this wheel, this graph. Jerry Trousdale, who was the founding president of Final Command, uh, eventually began to work with another organization, continued to help lead us as a board member, and Glenn Sunshine wrote a book titled The Kingdom Unleashed, 
this is a copy of that. It was a follow-up to Jerry's earlier book, Miraculous Movements. And in Miraculous Movements, he was telling stories out of Africa. People here in the U.S. kept hearing and saying, why not here? If, if that's happening in Africa, why not here? And this is a book where they're grappling with some of the principles that they think undermine movement happening here. There's some of the hurdles, some of the challenges we're going to have to get beyond. I was involved, intimately involved in the development of this graph and started using it a lot in training here in the U.S. And some other folks began to push back from other places, other partners, and said, you know, John, this is too programmatic. It, 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 it's, maybe there's a better way. So that was late last year. Early this year, I had two big back-to-back -back trips. And one of them was to Kenya and Tanzania. And I ordered a salad my last Saturday in Tanzania, green leafy vegetables. James and others who've traveled a lot warned me, John, be careful. Shadake's folks are very careful. They know we have weak dispositions. <laughs> and, and so things are cooked. They're prepared very careful. If you ever go there, I will, you know, food's not going to be an issue for you. But I asked my friend that I was traveling with, he was familiar with there. He said, no, this, this is a Western-style restaurant. You'll be okay. Well, I wasn't okay. <laughs> Sunday morning when I woke up, I could tell I, I was not feeling well. The problem was I had a 12-hour bus ride from Tanzania to Nairobi to catch a late flight overnight, all day, back wow. to the U.S. And I wasn't going to Tennessee where I live. I was going to Tallahassee where my grandson lived. Mm. And by the time I got to Tallahassee, I was not feeling well. That's, that's an understatement. Eventually, it became so bad, I called my doctor to see. And he, his first inclination was to recommend I go on to the ER. And I really didn't want to do that. Well, Thursday night of that week... I had a high fever, took some ibuprofen, Tylenol, back and forth, went to bed. And I almost never have dreams that I remember. <coughs> and that night, I had the most vivid dream of Jesus. And Jesus was sitting across from me, and he had a two-by-two -two poster board <laughs> with that wheel on it. <laughs> And I, he, he started at the top praying and fasting and he, he worked all the way around it and opened up scriptures to me. And I thought he was going to stop. I figured the, the dream would end and it didn't. He went around again on the inside of the wheel. And the difference between those two rounds is the outside were for people that were just getting started and the inside were for those of us Mm -hmm. who, who were trying to take it even much deeper. Yes. <clears throat> and I woke up, and I looked over at the table beside my bed, and I was hopeful but I, it, would, it didn't that, that there was paper and pen there. So there were some notes I wanted to make of what he had shared with me. And because I'd gone to bed feeling so bad, I didn't want to get up and risk waking my wife up, so I didn't. I, didn't. I decided I'm not going to write it down. And I was <clears throat> irritated with myself, for a brief moment, and then the peace just came over me. And I thought, well, John, this is probably just for you. It's not about you teaching others what Jesus shared. And the next morning I got up, and I, I was scratching my head and pondering it. Well, later Friday, my fever goes back up. And Friday night, I had the same dream <laughs> And the same experience all over again. And I wrote James pretty quickly thereafter all the details of what happened so I would remember it. And I'm sad to say I hadn't put a paper and pen in beside my bed the second night either. I wasn't expecting it. And over the time, this happened in February, 
Since then, I've been pondering this dream, and just a, a day or two ago, it's the first time I've shared it anywhere in a bigger group. Yeah. This is the second time. Uh, I, I've shared it with some people that have discerning gifts mm-hmm. and asked their wisdom, their insight. But I've pondered. I, I will be confessional. James was earlier. In my rationalistic background, there were days when I would have said, you know, bad salad. Mm. Bad salad. That, that's all it is. Your brain trying to answer your question. That's godless thinking. Mm. It denies the power of Acts 2. Mm-hmm. I never can remember. Is it the young men will dream dreams and the old men will have visions? So was it a vision or was it a dream? I'm an old man, so maybe I ought to call it a, a vision. But for a guy who never remembers dreams, that verse, that passage sort of probed me. What's up, John? What, why, why are you missing this? And now you're going to explain it away? No, I can't explain it away. The thing that I can tell you is since that experience, my efforts to train people, I believe, have been more powerful. Mm. There have been insights that I have never been aware of previously. When Jerry did the analysis of the movements for writing miraculous movements, they began to find that a lot of those early breakthroughs came in the context of dreams and miracles. Mm -hmm. God doing things people weren't expecting. What if Jesus was using it to encourage me? Mm -hmm. What if he not only went around it twice, but doing it a second time? What if this dream happened back-to-back nights? The first time I told it, I told it without revealing that I'd had the high fever until the end. Have any of you seen this change formula? Yeah. Change equals vision times dissatisfaction. The end's off the page there. Times first steps, times courageous leadership, and those all have to be combined as they multiply on each other, greater than the resistance. Most of the places when I share this with people, they assume the the greatest resistance you are going to find will be in the church or in your community or among the lost people that you want to reach. Today, I would encourage you to be prayerful to consider some of the biggest resistance is going to be within yourself. Yes. To make meaningful kingdom changes, you've got to have a vision of something different. One of the reasons we're doing this storytelling is God's been doing remarkable things. There are different ways. We have to come with some dissatisfaction. The thing about a multiplication, you know, this this multiplying with with X being in between all of those, if zero is in in any one of those four, guess what? You you get a zero. Yep, times zero. (laughs) Now, some folks took this and they decided, some disciple-making movement trainers decided, if you're not dissatisfied, I will make sure you leave here. (laughs) And there was an abrasive edge that I would not recommend. If you go back and you're talking to people and and they don't have dissatisfaction, they're not a part of the coalition of the willing yet. Pray for them. God can move. I told you there were key leaders in the African movements who when they first heard this training, they said, it might work in India, but it won't work here. Yeah. Some of Shadanke's key guys, as I understand it, after they went through a week-long training, came to him and said, 
Why, my brother, were you in a different place? I'd, I'd like for you to share. Well, I think part of the thing is that I, what I saw, everything I learned was in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And part of the question I asked myself, if I am really a student of the Bible, yes. and if I'm, if I'm a follower of Jesus, and he's saying these things, then I just need to obey. Amen. Yes. Just need to follow. Yes. You know, that's why yesterday when I spoke, you know, the slogan of Nike is just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Yeah. So I said, if I'm following Jesus and his, this is his word, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Amen. And believe him for the results. That's right. Yeah. And, and that was the difference between me and others. Mm. Others started to think about it, mm-hmm. put it in their theology, and, you know, put it from the human side to look at it from the human perspective. Uh, and what they saw was, we can do this. Mm. And so they, they stepped out. Yep. But today there are so many people who said, we can do this, mm. who are doing it today. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I went to Nigeria, if I was tear phoned, they had a training. And so they wanted me to go before I sent my guys in Nigeria. So this guy uses influence to talk to some of the leaders, the bishop in Joss, that I wanted to share this, what God is doing in Sierra Leone, share this idea with him. Now, this guy was a person of influence because he worked with Tearfond, so he brought this guy. But one of the things one of the bishops asked is that, he said, which country are you from? And I said, from Sierra Leone. Now, Nigeria is a big country. And he mm-hmm. said, what? Do you have to offer to us? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is a bishop asking mm-hmm. me that question. What do you have to? I mean, this is a small country. What do you have to offer to us? And I said to him, Well, I just want to explain something that we have discovered from the word of God Amen. to you. Mm-hmm. And he said, They said, We only give you one hour. We only have one hour for this. Mm-hmm. I said, Okay, no problem. <laughs> for me, you give me 20 minutes, okay. But I want the Holy Spirit to move. He can do a lot of things in 20 minutes. That's right. (laughs) It's true. So I said, okay. So they sat down and I started telling them the basic concept. I was watching the clock. Exactly one hour I stopped. And when I stopped, they looked at each other and they said, continue. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that is what started the process. So, and there have been many places where people have said, this will not work. But I have seen people use it. I went to Russia, and with the Baptists, you know, in Russia, the leader came to me and said, this cannot work here. This is Russia. (laughs) And I said to him, did God create Russia? <laughs> Amen. Oh, Russia was created by somebody else. <laughs> and then he laughed. But I want you to know, the, the training was supposed to be a one-day training. I did a 5 days training in Russia. Mm. And they moved me to another state, another city. I always say to people, don't limit God. Don't limit him. Mm-hmm. That is what is important. You need what he's going to talk about, a paradigm shift. Something needs to shift, and that's what happened to me. Mm. Something shifted. When we were in Ivory Coast, we did this first training in Africa in Ivory Coast. We had a lot of people come there in that training. And we, most of the guys today that are on our team were there. They were just at the back observing. They said, some of the guys... This is no work. But today they are champions of this process. So my own encouragement is that just submit it to God. Yes. And just tell God, God, you know, by myself, I don't think this will work. But yeah. with you, all yes. things are possible. Amen. Yeah. So you help me. Amen. Amen. Regretfully, Shadake has an appointment. And he's going to have to head out early. Uh, We have 
five minutes before he has to go, and then I'll have a wrap-up, and I would ask you not to intercept him on the way out. We're going to give you as much time. We have five minutes for questions. Yes? Ask you a question just from, our, from the last session. So I know that you talk about in the groups and the church planting, release control was one of the, yeah. the, the concepts. So how do you ensure accountability where the person of peace that maybe now has become the pastor or the overseer of a group gets off track in their discipleship and their right because we see it happen here in America. How do you how do you all deal with that when you're releasing control and kind of moving on to other people that you're now going to identify person of peace? How do you yeah how do you how do you kind of have some governance there? Personal accountability. Yeah. Again, you know. Um, we build accountabilities in this in what we do. Accountability is not policing. Amen. It's simply growing together. Now, first, this is the work of God. It is his work. Mm-hmm. So even where we try to control, we have a lot of deception all around the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. When we try to control. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what we do is that we have reporting systems. People report what God is doing. And we frame the questions in such a way, if you are derailing, people will know. Mm-hmm. But there are also accountability. That leader has other leaders yes. okay. that are holding him accountable. And that leader has other layer of leaders that is holding him accountable. Okay. So there is a process of accountability. For example, we're here with Joseph. Mm-hmm. Joseph has guys that he holds accountable. Mm-hmm. But Joseph, I will hold Joseph accountable. That's why if I will fight when we're here. Because, you know, he <laughs> wants to take my bag, you know. Because that's just how we have built the process. Okay. We're a family, Amen. but as a family, if something is going wrong, I should tell you. Mm-hmm. If you are not ready to be part of it, then we'll bless you and release you. Mm-hmm. But this is what God wants us to do. Yeah. So there is an inbuilt accountability all throughout the process. By the way, we do report the reporting. By the way, we do discovery Bible studies. It's all embedded in the Bible studies. This account. In fact, for us, if you are not reporting, we'll call you, talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, we encourage you. We encourage you. You're you not doing it? We say, okay, we'll bless you. There's another church down the road. Maybe you fit more <laughs> there. But this is what mm-hmm. God has called us to do. This is built in from the very beginning with a question that the group learns to yeah. ask. Yeah. If somebody starts off on a harebrained kind of idea... They're trained, the group is trained from the very beginning to ask the question, where is that in this passage? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times groups will be the ones who will report one of their own leaders who's, who's trying to pull people away to, to make his, his fiefdom mm-hmm. rather than build the kingdom of Amen. God. Yes. So... The, the, account, the accountability of reporting, follow-up, mm-hmm. ongoing training. Mm-hmm. Uh, Visits. Yeah. Visits. Visits. Okay. Sitting in on it. Be there. Uh, and always topping up the training of the local leader, <clears throat> leaders. And in some places where there seems to be particular <clears throat> risk, there's an intentional effort to raise up multiple leaders, a plurality of leaders, not just mm-hmm. one leader. Because yeah. a lot of people. Shadake, okay, we're going to go ahead and release you. Thank you, our brother. There's some <laughs> folks waiting for you out here. I want to call your attention to a quote from Einstein. We cannot solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. James started off asking the question, sort of, what's wrong here? When we're honest and transparent, you know, one another in ministry teams, staffs, those types of things... Some of what we're doing, a lot of what we're doing, isn't producing the results we wished it was. I was a pastor for 31 years. Loved preaching and teaching through the book of Acts, but always felt rubbed (coughs) the wrong way by it. 
God's doing these miraculous things and the numbers are multiplying and we're not seeing those results. What's up? What's wrong? Well, we've created some structures for certain things that are no longer culturally relevant. That's a piece of the problem. Our culture shifted. A lot of times we start measuring the wrong things instead of measuring the things that matter. And we're sort of like the farmer who takes his shotgun out and shoots the side of his barn and then he goes up with his red paint and he draws a big circle around it and says, I hit the bullseye. <laughs> no, he drew the bullseye around the shot he took. That was my reminder to make sure I got Shidaki out of here. <laughs> Paradigm shifts. It's easier to talk about making shifts in our thinking than it is to change our thinking. In actuality, it takes more than a change in our thinking. We're going to have to shift some of our habits. Our behavior brings our guts along. Let your brains drag your guts is one way a, a, counter, a counselor put that for couples. The husband needs to tell his wife, he loves her. He needs to show her he loves her. But I don't feel like it. Well, let your brains drag your guts. <laughs> do what you promised you were going to do until your feelings come along with it. Amen. Jesus, I'm afraid to do some of these things. Well, I have all authority. And he follows the Great Commission up with that little promise. I'll be with you always to the end of the age. We want the promise without the obedience. <laughs> All authority, always with you. There are two other alls in between those. Do you remember what they are? Make disciples of all the nations. Teach them to be everything, all that I command. Obey all my commands. We want these alls without those alls, but as David Watson used to say, all means all, and that's all it means. <laughs> Start small to finish big. Focus on a few in order to reach the many. Prepare to take a long time making disciples, but always be open to miraculous acceleration. God's able to do exceeding abundantly more than we think or imagine. He's the impossibility specialist. Do we believe that? Amen. We'll act on it. it. Takes more than a change in our thinking. We have to change our habits too. Amen. A warning. Most of us respond in our old default ways when we become under stress. And one of the ways Satan tries to undermine some of those early efforts is to put us under stress mm. because we'll revert back to that program behavior. That's true. You've got to build new structures in your daily life and in yeah. your thinking. Amen. Another one is expect the hardest places to yield the greatest results. I don't have time to talk about that. Email me and I'll, I'll share some things with you. To embrace multiplication, everyone needs a coach and everyone needs a cohort. This was a slide we ended with last year in all four of our sessions. We only had two this year. Wanted to end with it because some of you, you've got to have multiple touches before you finally notice. If you disagree with that, email me. We can argue about it by email. I'm not going to argue with you on the phone. Amen. Uh, if you want to talk about some other things, this is my cell phone number. See, when they make you the global coach, you got to answer. <laughs> and if you're in a meeting and you don't answer, you follow up answering the voicemail, and I will. Two minutes. Let me pray. Father, I praise you for what you're doing in Africa. And I praise you that these stories are capturing our imagination here in the U.S. Yeah and other parts of North America. And Lord, I praise you for young men and women who, who, who haven't experienced the hardening of the categories so deeply 
that they're, they're daring, they're willing to take the risk, they're stepping out, and they're seeing discovery groups begin. And Lord, we're hearing of some of those who are coming to faith and putting Jesus on in baptism. Uh, some of those groups beginning to reach the place where they're saying, are we a church? Lord, we know that when acorns sprout, that first little tender tree won't be harvested for timber. It won't have acorns yet, but it has all the DNA of that huge acorn, of that huge oak tree. And so, Lord, I pray for a, a mighty wave of simple churches. Lord, I pray for elephant churches intentionally birthing rabbit churches. Lord, I pray for your mighty power to sweep over our nation and throughout the world. Yes, Lord. So that Jesus' final command of all the nations being discipled will be experienced in, in our lifetime, Lord. Yes, yes. Lift up our eyes and give us a bigger vision. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And let all who agree say, Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to check out the Kingdom Unleashed sampler at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Until next time.